was gone on this last trip. It was uh, a rather busy one. Flew into Hong Kong, and then from Hong Kong to India, then to Thailand, and finally uh, into China. And I don't have time this morning to rehearse the trip, but the plan is some Sunday night, probably will be in April because of equippers and Easter coming, uh, some Sunday night in April, uh, we'll give a travel log, we'll give a report, we'll uh, show embarrassing pictures and some interesting pictures and uh, some exciting things. But perhaps the highlight was last Sunday, the privilege of preaching in a government church. Uh, this is a government church, China, the communist government has allowed uh, churches, and years ago they had very little freedom, but now they have even more and more freedom, and it's a church of about 7,000 people. Uh, they line up on the street to get in, and the English service had 1,500 people in it, and that's, of course, uh, the service that I preached in. Uh, they're not supposed to take religion outside of the walls of the church, but they had a speaker blaring the sermon into the street. <clears throat> And uh, I had the privilege of preaching, knowing that the communists were there watching and listening, and that was exciting because I got to share the word of God with them. So it was uh, really an amazing, amazing time. But thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, I know you were praying for my safety and my health, and those prayers were answered. And also, I believe, uh, prayers answered for an effective ministry to help with a seminary. Actually, Cornerstone University has a seminary called Asian Biblical Theological Seminary in eight different locations, and uh, it, we just found out that there's a very good chance that we might be able to open one up in China itself, so that was part of this trip, rather thrilling. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, may your ancient words come to excite our hearts this morning, and may the word of God be so alive to us and we to it that we will be transformed. Impart your truth to us by your spirit, for it's the word and the spirit that changes lives. We yield to you, O sovereign God, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I like it when you have to yell and argue and debate to get the amen in. That sounds good. <laughs> If you were to go into St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England, you would see the tomb of Sir Christopher Wren. He lies buried there, and of course, he's the one who designed it. He's the architect who uh, planned it. And there's a Latin phrase on his tomb that simply means this, if you wish to see a monument to Christopher Wren, look around you. And if you wish to see a monument to God, look around you. For the heavens declare, what's the rest of it? The glory of God. God has so designed this world that the invisible qualities of our creator are seen in the visible things around us. Oh, we have the revelation of God's word to more articulate who he is, but it is true. If you want to see God, look around you. And that's why Jesus loved to preach in a method we call parabolic. That is, he loved to give stories, well-known and familiar stories, to teach spiritual truth. And so if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, 
Uh, this is really the first time that he begins to delve into a parable. In fact, many scholars believe this is the first parable of over 50 parables that are recorded in the scriptures, where Jesus wants to teach truth about the invisible God with visible, well-known stories. We read in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Uh, this map that I have to show you here gives an indication of where the people were coming from according to chapter 3 and verse 8 of Mark. Uh, they were coming from the region all around, from Tyre and Sidon to the northwest, all the way down to Idumea, which apparently is off the screen, and then uh, Judea, and across the Jordan, the Transjordan area. Again, scholars believe that this may be the high point of popularity in the life of Jesus Christ. When you read through Mark quickly, large crowds, large crowds, and they keep getting bigger and bigger. Now the opposition is beginning to grow. We see that as well. But at this point, Jesus is amazingly popular. And he likes to teach in different places. For instance, in chapter 3, verse 1, he's in the synagogue. In chapter 3, verse 7, he's by the lake. In chapter 3, verse 13, he's on a mountain. And in chapter 3, verse 20, he's in a house. And now we come to chapter 4, and he goes back by the lake, which is where he loved to teach. Here's a picture of the uh, scenery of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful terrain. Uh, it's at, this is actually kind of on the east, looking toward the northwest a little bit. But it's along that northern shore that this incident would have happened. And here in this picture, we have a, a better idea of the natural amphitheater that would come on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, there is a building in that crop of trees on the hill that's called uh, the, the Mount of the Beatitudes. And it traditionally is the hillside where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And so it was in a place like this, and Jesus had said, the crowds are getting so big, so get a boat ready for me. And he got in the boat and sat down in the boat, and Matthew 13 says the people stood on the shore. It doesn't say that in Mark. Some were sitting probably, some were standing, but they were all crowded to the water's edge. What an exciting time this must have been. It's interesting that preaching should not be contained to the four walls of a church building. It was the evangelist George Whitfield who began to preach in the fields of Bristol, England, and thousands of people came to hear him, sometimes 30,000 people. And the miners from the coal mines were coming to hear him, and they said that you could tell that their hearts were being touched by the white channels that formed on their cheeks. Faces were blackened by the soot of the mine, but when they were crying, there were white channels coming down their cheeks, and hundreds were brought to saving faith in Christ. John Wesley said, I love a commodious room, a soft cushion, a handsome pulpit. I could scarcely reconcile myself at first to the strange way of open-air preaching. You see, George Whitfield started it, and he invited Wesley to join him, and John didn't want to do it. 
In fact, Wesley said, all of my life, I believe that preaching and worship should be related to decency and order. And I should have thought that the saving of souls almost a sin if it had not been done inside a church. There's a lot of people who think that church only happens here, and this is the only time you want to be involved in religion. But no, following Jesus Christ is out there. And telling people about Christ is out there because very few of them come in here. And we need to make sure that we take the message to them. So that's what Jesus is going to do. Verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. Very interesting Greek word that literally means thrown alongside. It means to be beside someone or close to, and then the idea of casting. So this is a way of teaching by comparison. To, to throw alongside a spiritual truth something that is very familiar. And that's what a parable is. And this may be the first parable that Jesus ever used. Here's the story. Listen, he says. A farmer went out to sow his seed. In fact, I think it's very popular, or very possible that Jesus might have simply pointed and said, look over there. Look at that farmer sowing his seed. Because it was happening all around him. This is a scene they would have seen a hundred times a day. Someone with a burlap sack tied around their waist and grabbing the seed and broadcasting it into their field. Look at that farmer sowing his seed. And then he tells the story. Verse 4, as he was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. If you're keeping score, there's four different kinds of soil. And this is the good soil. That seed came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30 and 60 or even 100 times. And then after telling this story, Jesus simply said this, if you have ears to hear, hear. In other words, he was saying, if you are willing to listen, I want you to understand. The design of the parable is not to cloak the truth of God in confusion or keep truth away from the seeker. Now, you may think that when you begin to read in verse 10. Uh, there's something about a mystery here. When he was alone, the 12 and others came and asked him about the parables. They didn't get it. And he said the secret, Greek word mysterion, mystery, the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be seeing and never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And you read that in Mark, and you think, wow, Jesus is talking in parables so people can't understand because he's afraid if they understand, they might believe, and if they believe, they'll be forgiven, and he doesn't want that. This is a hard saying. 
But remember this, Mark is condensing for us. Remember that from the beginning of our study? It's the shortest gospel. He condenses things. If you go to Matthew's gospel, by the way, the same story is seen in Matthew 13 and Luke 8. If you go to Matthew's gospel, it's amazing because it tells us, it gives us the whole quote here. Mark is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And the whole quote says, they close their eyes. They close their eyes so they wouldn't see. And all Mark is saying is, what's happening here is a fulfillment. I'm not giving you a parable so you don't understand. Actually, I'm giving you a parable so you do understand. Why the parables? Well, it's something that's memorable. It's easier to remember. People like stories. We think in pictures, right? And he's taking the abstract truth of spiritual things and making them concrete by comparing them to physical things, familiar things. And perhaps the most important part about a parable is this. It compels people to think for themselves. Yeah, see, parables really divide the insider from the outsider. A parable is something that is going to cause you to think. Someone put it this way. Jesus did not wish to save men from the mental sweat of thinking. And sometimes his teaching was put out there to test them. Here's a story. Do you have ears to hear? Do you want to hear? Oh, you've closed your eyes? Okay. But if you want to hear, you can hear. And I want you to hear. Think. Seek. And if your heart is seeking and your eyes are open, you're going to see spiritual truth. So he's not trying to hide it. He's basically just dividing those who really want to hear and those who don't. In essence, Jesus is saying in a very enigmatic way that the condition of a person's heart determines their receptivity to truth. The condition of your heart determines whether you embrace the truth. So he said, let me tell you a story that shows the four different kinds of hearts that receive the word of God. These are the four conditions of your heart and mine. By the way, this is a snapshot of South. You're going to find yourself in one of these four soils today. You're going to see yourself. Have you ever uh, had a group picture taken, and then when it's developed or someone shows it to you uh, on your iPhone, who do you look for first in that group picture? Yourself. Am I there? I hope no one's hiding me. There's my face. Oh, I wish it looked better. Uh, but you want to make sure, there I am in the group picture. Well, here's a group picture of all the hearts of men. Look for yourself. The first one is the path. We'll call it the calloused heart. In, in Israel, they would uh, the plow up the ground and sow their seed, but they had to have paths to get along. And sometimes the paths would go right through the land that was being cultivated. And people would walk on that path, so much so that it became hard. By the way, Jesus gives the meaning Verse 14, 
The farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. And this is a familiar picture in the Bible. The word of God is called the precious seed in Psalm 126. It's called the incorruptible seed in 1 Peter chapter 2. And what a great symbol the seed is for the word of God. It's a powerful symbol because the word of God springs up into life. The word of God is alive. And in it is the potential, almost infinite potential, to bring life and growth. It's like a little small thing. It's like dropping the word of God into our hearts just like the farmer drops the seed into the soil. So the word of God is pictured as the seed. Verse 15, but some people are like the seed that fell along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word away that was sown into their hearts. So the calloused heart is the first heart. It's like a path trampled on. There's no penetration of seed. The seed falls and bounces on the hard ground and never is accepted into the soil. It's the hard heart. It's the indifferent heart. It's the disinterested heart. It's the unconcerned heart. It's the heart that has closed its eyes and will not hear and is impervious to the gospel. And some of you are like that today. In fact, you're not even listening to me now. You've already turned it off. And your heart is as hard as it could be. And my only hope for you is that Jesus will take the plow and break it up. It's not going to be comfortable. But it's the mercy of God if he wakes you up to spiritual truth in the midst of your hardness. That's the mercy of God. There is in a book by C.S. Lewis uh, called Screwtape Letters. Are you familiar with that? He writes, ingeniously writes these letters uh, like a demon, the head demon, giving counsel to his other demons on how to trip Christians up. It's fascinating. One of his letters says this. There's a man in a British museum, and he's going through books, and he finds a book that turns his thought to spiritual things. And as he begins to read about spiritual things, he begins to think about his relationship with God. And the demon screw tape says, this will not do. So he created in him a little hunger. And so he got up from his reading and went to find food. And as he went out of the library, uh, he saw a newsboy yelling, selling the midday papers and bus number 73 rushing past him. And before he reached the bottom steps of the library, Screwtape says, I had gotten into him, I got into him, or I got him into an unalterable state where those odd ideas that came into his mind in the library were gone and a healthy dose of real life had taken away the seeds of spiritual thought. And that's what the devil does every time the word of God is preached. He wants to distract you. He wants to take the seed away. And he's right there to do it. It's like a bird. And you've seen the, the birds come, haven't you? Haven't you tried to put new grass, grass seed into your lawn? And if you don't rake it in, the birds flock and begin to eat it up? And that's like the devil taking the word of God away. Is that you in the picture? 
The second heart is the shallow heart. It's on rocky ground, verse 16. Other seed was sown on rocky places. And this is where they hear the word of God and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only for a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, the first ground had no interest with the word of God whatsoever. This ground, there is interest, but there's no depth. The soil is good, but it's shallow. And if you take a trip to Israel, you find out that rocks are everywhere. And even on good soil, there's only many places, uh, an inch or two, before you hit the strata of rock and limestone running underneath the soil. So it's good soil, but it's not deep. It lacks moisture, Luke 8 says. There's no root system. This is like the person who has a, an emotional response that engages the soul to spiritual things. It's a momentary flourish and interest in following after God only to shrivel up when things get hard. It's the impulsive response. Luke 8 says you believe for a while. But because there is no root, when persecution comes, like the sun, and begins to beat down upon you, you give up. It's interesting. The sun hardens some and softens others. Did you notice that? If you have a chocolate bar in your pocket and it's a hot day, it softens it. And yet the ground the mud lacking moisture becomes rock hard. The same sun that softens hardens, depending on the soil. Some statistics that come to us tell us that Christianity is doing pretty well if you just look at the facts. 2.1 billion people in the world, roughly, are Christian. 1.5 would be Islam, Muslim and about 900 million Hindu, the three biggest religions, and we're winning. Or are we? Bob Reiner, who did a study on the growth of the church, acknowledges that about 80% of Americans call themselves Christian or believe in Jesus. Attendance at church is at an all-time high. These statistics are very impressive, yet Christianity cannot engage the culture and is ineffective in changing it. And when times get hard, a lot of those Christians go away. You know why? This is the picture of you. You're rocky soil. You might be believing even today, but you'd give up Jesus in a moment if things got hard. And the test will be, the vitality of your religion will be tested when a crisis comes. And you'll say, how come this happened to me? I don't think I'm going to believe in God anymore. It was fine when I was prosperous, but not now. Rocky soil. Shallow heart. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He talks about a third type of soil. We'll call this the cluttered heart. Verse 18, still other seed fell among the thorns. Now, the soil is good here, and it's deep, it's not shallow. These are people who hear the word of God, but the worries of this life, 
I mean, anxious people. Have you met those people who are just worried about everything? I mean, there's so many concerns and so many phobias that they're always filled with anxiety and they're paralyzed by it. Thorny soil. Here it is. And the deceitfulness of wealth, the money hungry. Are there any people in America who are committing their life, their time, and their energy to the pursuit of wealth? Are there any here today? Now, we need money, and we've got to earn money, but some people love money, and the love of money becomes their God and pushes everything else out. Well, that's America. And then you've got the love or desire or longing for other things. These are people who just have a lot of interests. I have a lot of passions. I do this, you know, on the weekend, and I do this, and there are many good things, but these passions drive them. Competing desires that monopolize your time so that God is squeezed out. Do you believe in him? Oh, yes. Do you have fruit in your life? Oh, no. Because of the thorn. Look at this picture of the thorn. A lot of farmers in Israel were lazy, like some farmers today, and instead of pulling out the weeds, they cut off the weeds. What happens if you cut off a weed? It grows more roots, doesn't it? It becomes even stronger. It looks nice on the outside, but it's bad. By the way, these are the thorns from which the crown of thorns that was placed upon Christ were made. And these are the kind of thorns that choke out. You grow for a little while, but it's gone. The restless heart. I have too many interests. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to tell my neighbor about Christ. I don't have time to grow my character and heart. I'm too busy. Thorny soil, that's you. By the way, you're not put into one of these categories forever. You can switch categories even in a day. Did you know that? Oh, I have, I have the good soil. I take in the word of God. Well, that might be true today, but what about tomorrow? Tomorrow you may be hard soil. But there is good soil, the fourth one. Others is like seed on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. This is the receptive heart. There's interest. There's depth. And the soil is free of any obstacles that would hinder growth. There's no hardness. There's no shallowness. There's no competition for other things. That's why it's good. It's soft soil. It's rich soil. It's deep soil. It's clear soil. And the word produces an abundance of fruit. By the way, the average crop was about seven point times. 7.5 times uh, the sowing, I guess. Uh, there was a, a reaping average crop, 7.5. Ten times would be a great harvest. 30, 60, and 100-fold is mind-boggling. And that's what happens when you remove the, other, the thorns out of the life. and That's what happens when you put the soil, the seed, into deep soil. A noble heart 
That's what it's called in Luke 8.15. The seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. It's an honest heart. It's a committed heart. It's a clear heart. Not perfect, but genuine and longs for God. Longs for his truth. Is that you? Is that a picture of you? When's the last time you read the Bible? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you wept over your sin? When's the last time you asked Jesus to take full control of every area of your life and every relationship and every decision? That's the good heart, and that produces fruit. And you want to know why our churches may be full and 80% of the people in America say they're Christian, and yet we can't change the culture and we can't influence our neighbor? Because the picture of us isn't the fourth picture. But it can be. It can be by the grace of God. So if you're working for Christ as a Christian worker, if you're out there seeking to win people to Christ, don't be shocked when many reject your message. Don't be surprised when many people do not respond. Three-fourths of the people won't, if these statistics stand true. But then also, don't be discouraged because many people will. You've got to find the good soil. Does the farmer go out and say, I'm going to put the seed only in certain spots? No, they broadcast widely knowing that some seed is not going to take hold, but some will. Luke chapter 8 in verse 18 has these words. Consider carefully how you listen. Because the one who has will be given more. That is, the one who's open and interested and seeking, they'll be given more. And the one who doesn't have, the one who's closed his eyes, shut off his heart, pursues other things, is only emotionally interested in Christ, even what you have, you lose. Pretty sobering message. And yet, remember this, the point that Jesus is trying to make is not to cloud your eyes from truth. He wants you to see it. He wants you to see it with clarity. He wants you to see your own soul and change. If you're willing to hear this, take it to heart. And your life will be radically changed. One of the most amazing things about being in China was being with people who had never heard the word of God before. In this service of 1,500 people, there were only a few Westerners. Almost all were Asian. Some were from Beijing University, which is a communist university. I talked to a teacher and a visiting scholar from Holland, and they were so hungry for the word. And now they want to go deeper. And I have to say that that hunger that I noticed in places like Asia seemed to be a lot stronger than I notice in places like America. Well, we've, we've heard it so often. And it never penetrates the hard, shallow, thorny soul of our hearts. Oh, God, change my heart. Lord, only you can change a heart. Only you can break up the fallow ground. 
Only you can do what our hearts need to have done, and that is to open our eyes to truth. Lord, I believe you're doing it this morning to some. As we've looked at this snapshot of our own congregation, I hope every person has seen where they are. And yet they don't have to stay in one category. They can change. They can go to the good heart who will listen and believe. Oh God, send conviction to my own soul. And may we be serious, so serious, about genuinely loving Jesus and following Jesus and telling other people about Jesus every day of our God-given life. Sow the seed in our heart. May you find good soil. And may the crop be amazing. Amen.